before I thought that the blood only in hospital. After Mariupol, I have another opinion about it. And then in 30 minutes, this terrible attack happened. And some of the people, they even lost their lives. Like they escaped death one time, but they found it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Intersect. Intersect is a podcast that is dedicated to the celebration and the promotion of the intersection of God, the world, and the church. Today is Good Friday in the afternoon. It's about 4 p.m. in Kiev, and we have um, a wonderful opportunity to, to talk with three individuals who work in the humanitarian aid field. They're also all Ukrainians. Lena, who is, works for the UN, Edward, who works for the UN, and Gregory, who works for NGO, yes, NGO, an NGO as well. So let's start from me. And uh, again, my name is Elena. Uh, I'm originally from Mariupol, and I moved to Kiev ten years ago. And now I'm working with UN, particularly with uh, United Nations Population Forum. And uh, we have to, to deal a lot with uh, humanitarian settings and humanitarian response as well. Uh, I'm personally involved in operations support of our office and our field offices. So the most, the main focus we are doing is the sexual reproductive health, and now um, especially focused on supporting women and girls, uh, the most voluntary people right now, by providing a lot of support to the parental centers, for daily care centers for um, survivors. So this is the main um, focus we are have right now. Very good, thank you. Gregory? Uh, so I am uh, by origin from Donetsk region. I moved to Mariupol uh, to study in 2002, like 20 years I spent in Mariupol. Uh, and now I can say like it was my native town. I, I think like it's native town uh, because I had the marriage there, divorce, my daughter born, born there, like they spent almost all my life there. Uh, now I'm living in Dnipro, yes, because we have to live in Mariupol. And uh, I'm working for INSO, it's NGO that's uh, providing information to other NGOs about the uh, military and the situation on the contact line with the for other NGOs have access to that direction because we collect all the information about the shellings and about the killed people, the mine accidents, the access to the areas and everything like I am putting and collecting all this data and putting in the database. And Edward, how about you, sir? Hello, my name is Eduard. Uh, I am from Donetsk. Uh, after the beginning of the war, uh, I relocated to Mariupol. I lived uh, there from 2015 and now I am living in Dnipro after that uh, difficult situation what we had in Mariupol and uh, now I am working in UN system before in OECA it is the same international organization but uh, we have to continue because uh, we have some story about it, and I understood that our attempts are related with this. And speaking of those stories, I know before you showed me some of your photos, um, 
maybe you could share those with me and I could share those with others later on. Yes, if you're okay, if not, that's okay no, too. No, yes, of course, because it is not a secret. It is a real situation, uh, what happened in Mariupol. Um, obviously, Ukraine is under siege, has been at war um, for some time. The escalation started um, just over a year ago, but as you all know well um, russia came in in 2014 so we're talking nine years ten years um, it's a long time war has a particular amount of trauma that's associated with it um, the, the trauma we were talking about irpin and bucha earlier um, is one type of trauma mary pool would be a little different type of trauma because it's ongoing and so i'd be curious if any of you would be willing to speak about um, some of the stories or the trauma um, that you have seen or witnessed. Um, they don't necessarily have to be um, your personal stories. If you wanted to share that later on, that would be okay. But I'm just trying to paint a picture uh, um, for people who are listening and watching about what you experience, what you see on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a hard question. Well, this is a really hard question. Maybe, maybe I will start from the personal story. I don't know okay. if it's okay. Yeah, um, just um, you know, like a flashback and uh, the first day of the war, and uh, when I realized that um, the tragedy already happened, and I was absolutely, to be honest, a little—not a little bit—but we were all lost. All of. of my family, my husband and my son, he's, he was 15 years old at that period of time. And we've, mm, we've been living on the very high floor. Uh, so we've been trying to escape because, you know, there were no shelters um, around us. And we decided, I don't know why, because maybe we were under stress. Uh, we decided to go to Bucha because we had a friend there. They had a very big house with their underground. And um, so the idea the was that with the, the small... ba basement, with the basement. Yes, we've decided. I don't know why we decided that there will be a safe place for us. Maybe it was a smaller city. Yeah, it's yeah. a smaller city, big house, basement where we can hide yeah. because we didn't realize, you know, the the whole tragedy and the whole um not a volume but the whole. We didn't see the whole picture because the poor connection. We've been in panic, etc. So we moved to Bucha and I was very well surprised because we were the only one who were moving to Bucha mm -hmm. while everyone was trying to escape from Bucha and maybe people predicted something. Uh, but when we arrived and um, everything was more or less calm and we've been sitting in the guest room talking to our friends and trying to realize how to move further. And then we've suddenly realized that very close um, up um, next to the gate of this um, building, there's a host tunnel airport. Mm. And then in 30 minutes, this terrible attack happened. I saw personally how um, this, um, I don't know how to call it, the warehouse where Maria was uh, staying, it was bombing. Uh, I, I saw it personally. Uh, in my own eyes, uh, because when been, we've been running through the, uh, the house to this basement, I saw the helicopter, Russian helicopters, um, and a lot of aviation. 
and um, at one time I thought that this is the end mm. for us, like for humans. I told to my son and to my husband that probably we will stay here forever. And mm. this is, um, you know, the most, um, I cannot say bright spot, but the, the most memorable thing uh, I have and I keep it for now. Uh, and thanks God and thanks to my family and to my husband as well. Um, the next day he realized that we need to escape. We need to escape from Bucha. And we've escaped uh, one hour prior, all bridges were um, just uh, destroyed. Yeah. This is my maybe personal story and the most remarkable and memorable uh, story forever for mm. me and for my family. And my friends, they we were escaped by they left under occupation. Sure. And they were uh, the butcher was occupied until 31st of March. But thanks God, they didn't. Um, they passed through it not smoothly, but uh, their life and things got um, everything is okay with them and with their house as well. And that was in the beginning of the invasion. It was the twenty fourth of February. Oh, the first day. Yes, the first day and twenty fifth of February, uh, we've run away from Bhutan. Okay, and so there at that point there were a lot of question marks. Yeah. About what was going to happen. I know that there still are question marks, but it was a little more intense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as, a, as a human being, we thought that it will end very soon. And um, maybe it will take one day or two days when, when it just started, you know, at this 4 a.m. in the morning. But when I saw actually what is happening uh, with Hostomel Airport, when I saw, you know, the full force of the Russian um, military and army, I immediately realized that this is a long story. Hmm. And cool. this is a real war. And another, you know, to complement what I've already said is that um, at that time I lost the connection with my family, with my parents in Mariupol. I realized that Mariupol will be the hottest spot on the map. And I didn't have a connection with um, no telecom or something like this, no internet uh, during one month. And almost, uh, yeah, for the news I received everywhere from telegram channels, etc. I was absolutely sure that they are not alive, but again, thank God they're alive. And, but unfortunately now they're still there. They're still there in Mariupol. Yeah. Okay. And that just brings up the point that a lot of people choose to stay. It's their home. Um, yeah. They, that's there what is, they know. That's what they have. It's hard to leave. There is a different, uh, you know, approaches or views on this because for uh, elderly people, of course, they are stuck to their homes. Yes. Usually. And uh, this is all that they have at this moment. And they don't, they are not ready to lose, even if you ask them to move. Because personally, I asked my parents to move to Kiev one month prior this, you know, uh, war started because uh, we've, we've talked a lot uh, during this time, starting from the 1st of January. But after that, they said, no, this is our home since uh, it is still not safe, but it it exists. And um, no, never. And they are trying to accept or to adopt to the new reality. Hmm. 
So everyone should make their own choice. And this is how it goes on in my personally in my family. So that, that is a, a big story, a, a story that um, you will remember for a long time. Gregory and Edward, I know that you um, have some common experiences and I know that it's hard to talk about because you're from Mariupol, you work there. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your ongoing work, what you see there, what you have experienced, some of the challenges that you've had? Like it will be this common common story for both of us. <clears throat> On that period of time, yes, there were our I can like say like our main mistake that we we didn't leave the city because we stayed in the city because no one was expecting that will happen. Mariupol mm -hmm. was very quickly surrounded from the first different directions, and uh, on that period, like. In the beginning, there was opportunity to leave the city, but like in a few days, uh, we were not allowed to leave the city. And I, I like all that happened between the two sides, uh, two sides of the military guys, from the Russian side and Ukrainian, when we were between this fire, unfortunately. And, uh, and I, I know you said before that um, you have soldiers trying to do their job, but it's especially painful to have civilians caught in the middle of all of that. Like we understand like the military guy, they should, they do their job, but the problem is like, we are, we should not be there. Like they should allow us to leave this area. And our city mayor, he was sitting in other city and he was persuading us like, everything is okay. Calm down. There's no, like you don't have to panic. Like everything will be okay. And the, our problem is like somehow like we believe that everything will be okay. Hmm. Like it was in the beginning of the war in 2014 in Donetsk. Edward can prove like for some uh, parts of the city it was shelled, but people could move to other parts of the city. And in Ripple, the shelling was everywhere. Nowhere to go. Yes. And the, the most for most of the people, like if you ask them, they say the most uh, traumatic and the most uh, frightening, frightening was like the sound of aviation because you never know where they will drop their bomb. Yeah, of airstrike because you know the drama theater and several uh, buildings was uh, destroyed. Like I will tell you if you allow me, like uh, he came. I don't remember the dates. Like to our to my apartment where I lived with my ex-girlfriend and her son because his apartment was like uh in the worst direction and uh it was not so stable like and it was eighth floor and all the time it was shaking mm -hmm. and for some period like he stayed with us we still have bad uh, mobile connection uh we didn't have light i think for that time like already, but we have uh, water and we have gas and we had somehow heating. Uh, but very fast, like the problems, like it happened very fast with the Mariupol. Like it stopped with the electricity, then the gas because the pipe was destroyed, like main pipe uh, was destroyed. Then uh, internet connection, uh, 
any like mobile network everything like was shut down and if my memory is correct you were telling me earlier that when you lost the gas and the electricity and all of that um that it forced the population to go outside to cook yes it forced the population to yes. go outside to do some essentials to gather water sure. Sure. and whatnot and, and that was some of the most dangerous yes periods. the problem that was also like uh, all the shops was opened uh some things like our military guys they took something they needed and they opened they say like to the people nearby like you can take whenever whatever you want and people like took them some of them was robbed like some of them like was destroyed but there was no places to find the food mm. like if you don't have it for you at your apartment if you don't prepare yourself I don't know what you have to do unless you yeah. have to find you know and in this time it's not as if you're getting supply trucks of yes. food that the tractor trailers aren't coming in with with more food yes. and groceries and in this country. situation we forgot about money because uh, yes and, and about the COVID <laughs> because we... oh you forgot about money and COVID yes of course <laughs> because uh, we don't, don't have money in like, this period because you cannot spend this money like you have to pay if you need something you have to pay with cigarettes or with fuel or with food a commodity market yes yes commodity okay. market like like it was because the money didn't matter at that point i see you guys mind sharing a little bit about some of the danger that you have seen as you continue to work in the area i know right now you're in kiev um but you you travel to the eastern part of ukraine pretty frequently for your work and tell us a little bit about um what you see on a daily basis or a weekly basis no we uh, no we don't cross this contact land because now we maybe don't have this contact land okay. because everywhere first situation we have we have because uh uh like uh, the beginning of the conflict on 2014 we have like somehow frozen conflict there was contact land and we everybody knows like this side is like occupied by russians and here's ukraine but now like all ukraine is like uh, potentially endangered like if they not invade by uh by tanks and everything but they can shell like they can use missiles and to shoot any direction of ukraine maybe like they are afraid of shelling uh, directions closer to the international border sure. not to not to you know include the other countries not to involve them but for the other parts of ukraine like everything and mostly it's like yes close to this hot spots of donetsk region kharkiv region lugansk kherson odessa like all this east uh, eastern part and the southern part of ukraine and if i may add uh... And the contact line itself now it's something you know identified because uh, there are some territories which are deliberated day per day or otherwise. Uh, so the contact line it's something <laughs> flexible thing. Um, so there was a line that was set in 2014. Yeah. Yes. And now That's it's it's very fluid. Yeah. Yes. Lots of question marks that go around that and the idea that, that it's vulnerable everyone's vulnerable no matter yes. where you are in ukraine and we had talked about earlier um the importance of rebuilding but also the caution of rebuilding you know so irpin um is rebuilding right now but 
they could be struck again by a missile at any time. And um, just the, the highlight, of vulnerability. I know when I saw the university students there yesterday, the university students say they don't meet in person anymore. It's all online because mm -hmm. you just can't risk gathering a group yeah. to be a big target that is there. Gregory, do you mind telling us a little bit about your tattoo? <laughs> I always, tattoos always have a story and your tattoo it's has like, a story. Okay, my story is like to remember what happened in Mariupol because this is a symbol of Mariupol, but the, my idea was like, uh, I took it from internet, but like what, what happened, like we saw that and we escaped that. And maybe even if Mariupol will be deoccupied and rebuilt, I think like I will never live there hmm. because I know that so many people died there and my friends and friends of my friends and people who you know, and maybe, maybe like it will stay in our memories, but it will be painful to, be painful. to handle that. And I think what you said, if I heard you correctly, was that you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back to live there. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Okay. Sure. But you carry it with you. So um, his tattoo is an anchor, a yes, boat's yes. anchor, yes. and um, it's made of bones or a back backbones. It looks yes. like a spine. Yes. Um, just a remind of the fragility and the death that was there. And also like to mention one thing, like uh, the, the problem is like for Ukraine and for all this conflict, like, some of the people that moved from Donetsk, uh, they bought some flats in Mariupol hmm. or other cities. So like they lost their real estate in Donetsk. They lost everything in Mariupol. And some of the people, they even lost their lives. Like they escaped death one time, oh. but they found it. Like okay. even I know that some people like from East, from Donetsk region, they was killed in Bucha or they was killed in, in Mariupol or they was killed somewhere in other parts of Ukraine, yeah. like you're trying to escape, but it will find you, unfortunately. It's there. That's why. And it's... you guys have had your close calls um, more than once. Um... And one more thing about uh, blood, because blood, blood uh, because before I thought that the blood only in hospital. Oh. After Mariupol, you see, uh, I have another uh opinion about it about blood i'm sure yeah it's one thing to see it in a clinical setting with doctors and nurses and where you're supposed to see it um, yes for it is very important for all people from mariupol from bucha who saw this uh, blood and now we are thinking about it uh, and we have another uh, yes, another opinion yeah about it. You know that the people say like, okay, uh, we're sorry that you, you, you felt this, you come through this. And I'm always saying like, it's, it's not stopped yet. Like we still continue like, okay, now we are like somehow calm, but it, 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 it never go away until this conflict stops. Like sure, sure. you always think like, because now like, like people who survived Mariupol, maybe like we are not, uh, taking attention on the air raid alert like other people do and we should do maybe act somehow but uh it's like mentally you you changed you have changed like you are another person and you you behave uh you will you will always behave like having these memories because you are you are broken a little bit like mentally luckily physically we are okay and i'm not talking about the rest of the people who sure. 
who lost their limbs, who who is military people, who is now surviving, and it's oh, it's always painful. But Not... there's many forms of um, injury: sure. the heart, the mind, the body, the soul. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I am curious if you could tell us a little about your work. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, and most particularly, what are the needs? Um, so, Lena, I know you work with women, and I know there's a specific set of needs, and I would imagine that the war changes that a little bit. Um, Gregory, I know that you help um, keep records, and um, Edward, I think you help with supplies, if I'm not mistaken. No, I am a driver. Oh, you're a driver. Okay. Very good. So, I would love to hear um, some, of the, some of the things that you see in terms of what are the needs of the people on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, Matt, this is also, for me, it's a complicated question as well, because, you know, I'm, I, as I told you before, I work for UN, but I work as a back office, as an operation support. This is finance, HR, and uh, procurement um, uh, streams. But what I can see from the whole work of the agencies is that Especially, we have two focuses, as I told you before. This is a reproductive health and the gender-based violence as well. So, uh, if we start from the reproductive health, now we had we see the huge demand uh, in our prenatal centers with hospitals, with mobile clinics, uh, because we need to access, you know, these um, areas where the uh, doctor support uh, is no longer possible. We are working very close to the this contact line we've talked we've talked before, and we are trying to now to arrange a lot of um, <clears throat> to establish set up our supply chain in terms of uh, providing uh, ambulances, hospitals, maternity even maternity units. Uh, we've provided the, uh, one to Izum, uh, where the this is a how to say prenatal center on the wheels, and uh, you know this sexual reproductive health kids, dignity kids. It's because the demand is really very huge. A lot of agencies are working on this, and um, uh, I'm sure it, this story will continue. Another story is gender-based violence because you know after the war started, um, the level of the um, calls we received on our hotline, they increased, I don't even know, five times, ten times, because you know the war, everyone mentally is trauma, <clears throat> huge trauma, and these cases of this gender-based violence increased a million times. I don't, I don't want to say it a million times, but significantly, it's yeah, it's a lot. And what we are doing right now, we are opening um, uh, daily centers for women who can easily come with their children if they face any type of this gender-based violence. Even we have uh, some rooms for males as well, because you know this gender-based violence, this is uh, uh, not only for women, this is also for men as well. Uh, we are opening uh, shelters. The shelters, I don't mean these shelters which we used to. Not bomb to shelters. See, yeah, bomb shelters. Yes. yes, it's just a shelters again for women that, where they can stay for a very long time unless we help, until we are helping them to maybe to find a new job, to, to find um, themselves and to protect them. So there are a lot of work um, we are facing right now. We are trying to. I cannot say complete 
this is a never endless story i think and it, it will last too long uh, but this is the main maybe our streams i wanted to share with you and with everyone i appreciate that thank you so i heard two things one um basic prenatal care yeah. um life goes on we still need prenatal care yeah. um and then i just the i think maybe the the stress of war um has created a crucible where there's yeah, more sort of violence that. in the home yeah than used to be okay thank you for sharing gregory or edward anything that you would want to share just like the same like thing like we talked before like this is like for my vision like we are also with edward we are also adps like we lost uh, everything like we had in uh, Mariupol and they luckily so you both lost your apartments and like i have re rented flat but all like inside was was my personal like edward also like he he escaped with his own vehicle but all he he has everything left also in, in his apartment some part of his personal belongings yes and they say the same thing like for rest of the people that who lost their homes uh i cannot say like our government is not supporting he's supporting but like not enough because like uh, the people like for example like before the war i was paying for rental like about five thousand grivnas for my apartment now like the price could be like 25 30 like for the rest of the cities so six times higher yes the problem is like the people they lost their jobs they they lost everything and they have rebuilt their life from zero and the the support is not like substantial it's not enough to survive even that's why like the problematic like uh some people they decided even to go back to the places that is occupied now because they those who didn't uh, lost the uh, apartment because here like it's it's impossible for them to survive luckily for us we can work for we have experience sure. we can work for international organizations but what the rest people they have to do like they have some of the people have pension less than 100 dollars now some people they have like uh, salaries about like 15000 uh, grivnas like i know people from Mariupol yeah, like they are living five uh, five people in one apartment because it will be easy for them to pay the rental and to mm. work. Uh, that's why. That's why I can understand people like who is coming back. Me personally, I will never go back like to the occupation of the occupation. But the other people, they they have no other option. Like it's difficult for them even to survive. So housing, affordable housing, is an issue, and inflation is issue. The yes. Cost of things. Yes. Food. So, everything. Everything. Like the prices is for everything, and also like still, still like it's not calm. It's still we have war, we have mobilization, we have everything. Like everything is connected. Like some people who was lucky, like they, they send their wives uh, to other countries, but it's also difficult, like to, to for them to survive also there and their their husbands there trying to to do something like staying here in Ukraine. Thank you. Edward, anything you want to share? No, thank you because uh, I totally agree. <laughs> okay, very good. It, just one final question. Is, if there was one thing that you wanted to tell people outside of Ukraine, what would you want to say to them? And if that's an unfair question, I can come up with another one.
live your life today this what i want to say because you know uh, maybe it's some kind of philosophy but um, sometimes we don't see the price a real price of our lives and mm -hmm. we postponed a lot of things um, to the future and um, here in, in Ukraine, personally, me, I've never ever believed that I um, faced this situation, unfortunately. I was not prepared mentally and um, I was thinking about different things, but I never ever um, uh, understood the value of this particular moment I'm living in right now. Mm. This is my advice, if mm. I may. Okay. Thank you, Lena. Gregory or Edward? <laughs> Maybe I wish to all to hug each other and love hmm. each other. Spend more time hugging and loving. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. support. <laughs> <laughs> because it is very important. Yes. Yes. Having one another is important. The things like we paid attention before the war was like, okay, maybe to buy something yeah. to to go somewhere but once we lost lost like these things like was uh and we're thinking like not for us like nothing can scare us now and like okay this is this like okay phone i can lose it like uh car i can lose it but like the main the main value is our lives yes uh, our, our lives of our uh our relatives our families our kids that's the main the main value in our life. So material work does not matter anything at all. Sure. And also like the land also like okay, you can rebuild your home. But you don't have to you don't have to die there. Hmm. Because you built it, okay, that's okay, but And your home is where you are right now, this moment. Because yes, for us it is like Yeah. The... Especially for guys, I think this is a very because you guys travel a lot, um, you're in d different areas, you, just, you have to be there sure. and be present. Okay, well, thank you very much. Okay, that will wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please send them along to me. You can reach me at matt, M-A-T-T, at intersectpodcast.org. And if you want me to send some questions along to Lena and Gregory and Edward, I would love to do so.